We're starting a series today on faith, and we're going to spend the month looking at the life of Abraham. So this is going to be our series, is the, the biography of the father of faith. And the reason why I picked the father of faith is I get tested by God, and the only areas that he really tests me in is in the areas of faith. In, in believing, in what I actually believe, God will test me in, in those, those things. It's, it's frustrating. God's frustrating sometimes. But he, he's, he's like, he wants to know the quality of my faith. And, and with that, I'm like, okay, here's the, this is what I got, God. This is my faith. And then I have to just do this, like, oh, self-examination. My faith isn't all that great. God wants me to increase in faith. Like, the faith that I had last year is not going to get me through this year. Do you know that? Like, your faith, you guys, are, again, I just told you you guys are amazing. No, no, now I'm going to tell you, your faith isn't good enough. <laughs> it's not. It's just not. You guys can't stay where you're at. Your faith has to increase. Jesus, when he was working with the disciples, this is one of the common themes that that he continued to pour out in them. And uh, remember when, when, when Peter was walking on the water? It was an amazing, I mean, for him to actually get out of the boat was like mind boggling. Mind-boggling faith to step out of the boat and to walk on water as Jesus did. And when he saw the craziness underneath his feet, well, he, he began to sink. And I don't know why Jesus is like this. I don't know if I would like Jesus if I hung out with him. Because Jesus, oh my gosh, Jesus says the, he says the craziest things. He didn't. Like, if this was my kid, I'd be like, you are so amazing, Sophia, for stepping out of the boat. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says... Oh, ye of little faith. One of the, one of the great stories in Matthew is uh, the disciples go out and they, they, they attempt to cast out evil spirits. Uh, newsflash, evil spirits do exist. They're real and they have a strategy and, and all that kind of stuff. And we'll get into that. But um, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and how to engage in spiritual warfare. He equipped them. They went to a conference on deliverance or something. They knew how to do the stuff. They saw, what, they saw him do it. They did it themselves. And then they went out and they got whooped and they got beat up. And this little boy, a little tormented boy by, by an evil spirit would throw himself on the fire, would hurt himself, try to kill himself. The youth trying to kill themselves. Does this sound familiar? This is, this is the, the same evil spirit. It permeates our society today where our young people want to kill themselves. It's, it's tragic. And the disciples can't do it. And again, the same, almost the same comment. Oh, ye of little faith. But Jesus takes it up a notch. He says, oh, you perverse generation. You lack faith. 
And so <laughs> this is probably why I don't want to say I would like hanging out with Jesus, because basically Jesus says, the reason why you didn't heal the kid is because you're a bunch of perverts. <laughs> Jesus calls his guys perverts. Oh, you perverse generation. You, don't, you lack the faith. You lack, you, lack an, you, you lack the faith to actually live a righteous lifestyle, and you choose perversion over, over power. Oh, man, think about that for a second. The Christian church, in our, in our mediocrity, we, we've chosen perversion over power when God's calling us into purity. Not that purity, you know, if you're a good little Christian, God's going to you know, make you more powerful. I don't know how it all works, but I know that it's important because Jesus made a point of it. And then, of course, his, his parables on the seed. If you have enough faith, the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains... You can cast them into the sea if you just have a tiny little bit of faith. And so faith is an important aspect as we grow. We, have to, we, we are people of faith. We are people in faith. And I'm asking you today, what is the quality of your faith? And, and it's beyond just, do I believe in God? Like, chances are most of us believe in God. But what is beyond salvation faith? Well, it is the faith to continue. It is a faith to step into God's promises. It's the faith to see prayers answered. Uh, I'm going to get prosperity gospel on you because it is biblical. It is the faith to be successful. Some of us don't even have faith to step into the success that God's called us into. So Abraham is the perfect character. He is the perfect biography to look at. He is the father of faith, and he is the father of faiths. So he's the father of our faith, Christianity, you could say, of Judaism, and maybe we'll get into this next week, but also Islam. He who's a father of many, gener- uh, many nations, and Islam's one of them, and we, maybe we can look into that next week, but it's not the point of today. So... What is faith? What is the quality of your faith? Uh, what is faith? Faith is, Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Uh, it's frustrating because some of us that like empirical evidence, faith is difficult for us. Uh, so if you're that type of person, if you have to have proof, I encourage you to have eyes to see. Thomas is okay, but John is better. You know Thomas? Thomas had to have physical proof. He had to touch. He had to stick his fingers in God's side. Jesus allowed it, but John's relationship with Jesus was better. I want to encourage you into that one. So the assurance of what we do not see. The Romans, uh, Paul tells us about Abraham. Romans chapter 4. Abraham was, this is the NLT version, which I like it for our purposes. Abraham was... Humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. This is Paul saying this. What did he discover about being made right with God? What a great question Paul asks. What did Abraham discover about being made right in God's presence? The right relationship with God. Uh, I hope you're not content with your relationship with God. I'm not. 
my, my relationship with God is, it's central to my life, but I know that it's not as good as it should be. And in the areas where I am frustrated, I choose to wrestle with God, and that's what Jacob did. So I want to encourage you, what is your relationship like with God? And in this, today's, for today's purposes, what did Abraham learn? What was his secret? Today we're calling him Abram. That was his first name. Uh, Abram, uh, the descendant of Shem, he is old. Well, we know he's old. He's in the Bible. But he is ancient, ancient, ancient old. When we begin this story, we don't write under... I'm going to get history on you. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. He's so ancient. There is as much time between us and Jesus as there is between Jesus and Abraham. Isn't that something? So we're actually a little bit closer to Jesus than Abraham was. So that's how old this guy is in the chronology. He, uh, he was born, well, it doesn't say he was born, but he came from the land of Ur, which is in southern Mesopotamia. Ur is one of the first cities, first civilizations that the world produced, quite possibly maybe the first you want to get into weird conspiracy theories, take me out to coffee. Um, but we do know that Ur is ancient. It's, it's in the Bible. We'll, we'll read about it in a second. But we didn't, like, the academics didn't even believe that Ur existed until the 19th century until we discovered it. It's like, oh, wow, the Bible's kind of right. There it is. And they just uncover this massive city. The difference between Ur and Egypt is that Ur was made out of mud bricks, and they just kind of all dissolved, and you know. But the city was great. The city was massive. The city was extremely wealthy. Ur was responsible, teachers, for developing writing, mathematics. They were the first to create schools. And they were the first to create libraries. In Ur, they worshiped the sun god and the moon god. And this is where Abram grew up. This is where he learned. This is, he, he was, Abram was not a Jew. He was a Sumerian. He was the first of the great civilizations. And in our mind's eye, because of Sunday school, we think that he is like this Shepherd boy that's dirty and grimy and just kind of, you know, hobbling around on the rocks, beating his sheep. That's not the case. See, here's my, here's my crazy theories. I think that Abram was highly educated. Biblical scholars don't talk about this, but I will. I think that he probably actually introduced writing into Canaan. There's pictures of the Sumerians, and they are... They're, they're, they're clean-shaven, and they're smart-looking, and they have their hands folded, and they're very noble, and that was Abram. And so where maybe he received the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and Babel, and maybe where he received all these early stories, that he probably received them orally through oral tradition because writing had not existed yet, 
I believe Abram, God chose Abram because he began to write. Again, we don't have any proof of this, but this is my imagination. But why wouldn't somebody from this civilization who's highly educated pass on information in such a way? And why wouldn't God choose to use that type of a vessel to do so? So, God calls Abram, let's read it, he calls him out of Ur, out of the land of the Chaldeans. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12. Okay, the Lord said to Abram, all right, this is kind of a, you might think, well, that's kind of, what's the big deal about that? God said to Abram, this is kind of a big deal because this is the first time that God has said something in the Bible for about 500 years. So from the time of Noah until the time of Abram, the dialogue with God is silent. There's no, there's no talking. There's no dialogue. There's no conversation. No one is praying to God as, as far as we know, as, as far as the biblical record is concerned. So for the first time in probably some four to 500 years, maybe even longer, we don't necessarily understand the biblical chronologies, and if you try to figure it out, um, you'll get frustrated, and you just might lose your faith. So if it all has to make sense, you're going to get frustrated. Better you hear it from me than you find out from yourself or from Uncle Bob who doesn't like the Bible. So you better hear it from me. Uh, But God's word is still true. It's not necessarily about all the making sure that the numbers line up. It's about the truth that's communicated in the word of God. It's important. God said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, And go into the land I will show you. And here is the great promise, the great covenant. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. This is kind of important to listen to. Maybe you've heard this before. But God's people, Abram's descendants... Uh, if you want to be blessed, bless whom God blesses. This is kind of an important deal. And God's word is steady and it's consistent and it is unchanging. It was true in the ancient, for the ancients. It's true for us today. Uh, you might have a little Jew in you, but chances are that you're not. But we are called to bless Israel. And if we have this mindset of blessing that nation, we will be blessed. Just let that roll around in your head for a second. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow. The entire planet, all creation, all humanity, from the very beginning until the very end, it is going, God is going to bless all peoples through his lineage. Wow. So Abram left. So he hears God's voice and he leaves. He, is, he takes action after hearing God's voice and he leaves. As the Lord told him and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he'd set out from Haran, that is the second city that he went to, it's not Ur. 
He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all of their possessions that they had accumulated. They were rich. And the people they had acquired in Haran. Uh-oh, they, they owned slaves. Slaves, uh-oh. And then they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the great tree of Morah in Shechem. And at, that, and at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Okay, so first he hears God's voice. He says, you need to go. I'm calling you into a new land. It's going to be your land. You're going to be blessed. You're going to become a great nation. The entire world will be blessed through you. And this is interesting. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So this is, as we get into it, this is not the first time, well, this is the first time, but it's not going to be the last time that God begins to to tell Abram about his promise, about this covenant, about the destiny of his life. It's going to happen over and over and over again. This prophetic word given to Abram, he's got to get it deep down inside of him. God is uh, in the department of redundancy department. Say he gets it. (laughs) Thank you. Kapczynski humor, sorry. (laughs) So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared. So this is kind of a big deal. So the first time God speaks, the second time God appears. Very rarely does God actually show up in the Old Testament in physical form and appears to somebody. All right, so God calls Abram into Canaan and he goes. And this, guess what happens? Verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. This is so frustrating. How about, how do you like to have your, your faith tested? God calls you into something. You actually take that step of faith. You actually go, and then all your provisions dry up. This is, a, what is the quality of your faith? When God calls you into something and it gets hard, what do you do? This is so frustrating. Like, if God did it to Abram and it, God does it to Jesus, when Jesus is commissioned, when he is ministered to in the desert, um, excuse me, when he, when he gets baptized and, and he gets empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, he is destined to victory, the greatest victory that the world has ever seen. First thing that he has to do is he has to go into the desert with which the Holy Spirit led him into. So, God leads Jesus into this desert, into this wilderness. God leads Abram into a Canaan where they just happened to fall in hard times. And so he goes to Egypt, and then Abram's uh, character gets tested. He lies about his wife says his wife is his sister. Eh, technically, it's his half-sister. It's a half-truth. Is it okay to tell half-truths? I don't know. If Game of Thrones kind of weirds you out and offends you, you should try reading the Bible sometime. <laughs> it's like, what? It's his sister? That's not right. Okay. It's not about that today. It's about faith. Okay, let's stay on track here. So Abram, this is chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything that they had had, 
Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. Once again, this guy, he just can't help himself. He is a successful guy. He loses everything, gets it all back. He's blessed. Went to Bethel. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. This is the very first time uh, Abram actually calls on God's name. Now let's go to verse 14, chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, lift up your eyes from where you are to look to the north, look to the south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give you. Again, this is this covenant. I will give to your offspring forever. Maybe we should say forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Okay, so... He doesn't have any kids yet. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. Go and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So he doesn't have it. And this is, this is such an important spiritual truth that we need to begin to understand, to gain. Just because you don't have something yet doesn't mean that you cannot walk in it. All right, let's just be practical. Maybe God is calling you into a new career. I want to encourage you to go to that place of employment and begin to walk it. You're not hired there yet. You're not on payroll yet. It's not yours yet, but it doesn't become yours until you believe that it is yours and you begin to walk that territory. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you need to move from where you're living. I want to encourage you to say, God, is this your will? Do I need to move in from this community to the next community? I want to encourage you to get out, to walk, to take that step of faith. You don't own the property yet, but start walking it. Start praying about it. Start owning it. Start believing it in your mind before you even have it. This is the faith that Abraham begins to walk in. This is why when Paul says, what is it about this guy that God likes so much? Well, this is it. And when God speaks, he actually returns, and they go into dialogue. They go into relationship. Uh, Most of us are so dense that we don't even understand when God's speaking to us. All right, and then we're going to go to chapter 15. Next week, we'll go back to 14 and cover some of the good stories. But I have to hit this. Chapter 15, verse 1. After this, I'll, talk yet, I'll tell you about the this next week, that really cool story. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, I am your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign God, what can you give me since I remain childless? Okay, so this is the major, this is the the practical problem. He's got no kids. He's supposed to be, you know, the father of all nations. Down to verse 5. He looked up. He, he took him outside. God takes Abram outside. He says, look up at the heavens and count the stars. First time, God says, I want you to look out and across the land. Actually look down, count the dirt. 
Can you count the dirt? No, you can't. But we, technically, we could do it. We could count every fleck of dust on the planet. It's possible because it's a, it, is a, it is a number that we can obtain. It would take us a very long time to count every single speck of dust on the planet. But it can be done. But what you can't do is you can't count eternity. The stars go on forever, folks. They don't stop. We can't find the end of the universe. It's driving astronomers mad. They can't put it in a box. And God is saying, what I'm going to bless you with is infinite. It is eternal. It goes on and on and on forever. So God is ups the ante here. He's first he talks about a, a finite number of a dust. And now he goes to the infinite number of stars. That is what you're going to be, my son. Okay, here we go. This is, okay, if you, ha- you have to write in your Bibles. If you're not a Bible writer, you have to do it. It might be so hard for you to defile your Bible with ink. But this is the one that you need to do. Verse 9. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. We're going to have to spend a whole lot of time on this, this, this idea, this, this topic, because this is the secret. Because Abram believed that he was moving into an eternal promise, it was credited to him as what? As righteousness, just like all the other knuckleheads in the Bible, everything that they do, most of the time, is really dumb. Abram was no exception. This guy had some major moral problems. He had character issues. He was a liar. That gets passed on to his kids, by the way. He was a cheapskate. Talk about that one later. That gets passed on to his kids, by the way. He had, just like you and me, he had relationship issues. Remember the marriage series that we did? We actually see Abram and Sarai do the same things. They both become critical. They both become defensive. They both blame shift. And they both stonewall. We'll look at that too. But despite all of his character flaws, what makes him righteous, what makes him a good boy, is not because he is good. What makes him a good boy is what he actually believes. Yeah. It is what he believes is what matters. It was credited to him as righteousness. So the secret, the, 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 the gospel truth is, well, there's nothing that we can do to earn our righteousness. We just have to believe. Faith. Abram's faith was always increasing. Um, I'm calling him Abram right now. Maybe next week we'll talk about then transition from his name from Abram to Abraham. 
because God gives him a new name. Remember when you got saved and you became that new creation, right? Remember that? You just like everything just, just changed and washed off of you and you felt so free and so excited for the Lord. It's almost as if you became a new person. You did. And it's almost as if you have a new name and a new identity. And so Abram gets this new name and new identity and yet he still messes up. When was the last time you sinned? <laughs> like just now, you know? And... It is such an amazing thing because Abraham sins even after his identity has been changed and yet that does not change the way or change how he believes. All right, so here's... Remember I, I just said like I like my free will and I like my free speech? Oh, I do. I mean, I so do. Like, Joshua Kapczynski is the master of his own destiny. I like my free will. But here's the unfortunate truth. I didn't choose God. He chose me. This is the part of my Calvinist brothers that that irritates me because they're right. I didn't choose God. He chose me. You may think that you mustered up enough self-will to drag yourself out of bed this morning to come to church. But you didn't bring yourself to church this morning. God did. It was his will that brought you in. Let my faith... (laughs) My faith is so lousy, folks. It really is. My righteousness is even worse. It's filthy rags. If you want to go into the interpretation of that, it's really gross. And Abraham's New Testament revelation was that somehow he realized that it wasn't his faith that he was tapping into. It was God's faith that he was tapping into. Did Abram call out to God or did God call out to Abram? God reached out first. God picked up the phone and made the first phone call. Let me give you some more scripture for this idea that it's not your faith that's really important. Back to Romans chapter 4. This is uh, starting in the middle of verse 9. We have been saying that Abram was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? We'll talk about circumcision in a couple of weeks. Fun topic. Verse 13. God clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abram and his descendants was based not on his obedience to the law. Okay, pay attention. This is another one you need to underline. God's promise was not based on his obedience to the law, but on a relationship with God that comes from faith. Verse 14, if God's promises in, is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey. 
The only way to avoid breaking the law is to uh, is not to have. Excuse me. The law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. Your promise, your blessing, your promotion, your success happens by faith. All right, ready for this? It is a free gift. Faith is a free gift. First Corinthians, Paul talks about it as being a spiritual gift. I, I think I want to encourage you to, to swap your faith, your faith for, with God's faith, that gift of faith, a spiritual gift. The promise is received by faith. It is a free gift. And we are certain to receive it whether or not we are living to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abram. Uh, down to verse 22. Because of Abram's faith, God counted him as righteousness. This is quoting the verse that we just read. And when God counted him as righteous, it was just for Abram's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. You get to tap into this blessing, everybody. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. This is a big deal. If we believe, if we step into faith, he sees us and counts us as righteous. Not based on what we actually do. No, it's based on what we actually believe. This is an important scripture. This is Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is complicated. Let me push on you a little bit. Um, again, this is what frustrates me about my Calvinist brothers. Because I think that I've saved myself because I'm, I've chosen faith. That ain't true. What saves me is God's grace. It is by grace that we have been saved through, other interpretations say, in faith. Not because of our faith, but because we are resting in God's faith. We've tapped into a spiritual gift of some sort. I like to see it this way. The faith Faith is kind of, when we live in faith, when we walk in faith, when we accept Jesus' faith, it, we, we see the world around us, we see God being active. When we worship, when we experience an element of his glory, the response of faith is, oh, wow. That's, that's, the, that's the, the emotion of faith. The emotion of faith is wonder. The emotion of faith is childlike. The emotion of faith is excitement and joy and peace. And most of us are spending our time trying to work up our faith. And that's the wrong way. If we're continually like, "Ah, I'm just going to try really hard to have a lot of faith. Well, then you're earning your salvation. And that doesn't work out too well. If you say, God, I need your faith. I need to rest in your faith. Give me this spiritual gift of faith. 
What an amazing thought, huh? What did Jesus say? You know, if you believe, then you'll be saved. If you believed, your kid will be healed. And what does the, the blue-collar worker say? Uh, God, I believe, but help me on my unbelief. Give me that faith that you have. Uh, the NLT version of Ephesians 2.8 says this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. So again, there is that choice. When you believe, God saved you by his grace. And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that no one can boast. You can't boast about your salvation. You can't boast about your good deeds. You can't boast about your work. The only thing that we can boast about is our victory in Christ, what he's given us. We didn't earn any of this thing. It's just a free gift. Abraham knew this. Abram was able to, it's between the lines. It doesn't come out and say it. But when God spoke to Abram, he knew that God was contacting him. And I really think that maybe God was silent for some 500 years. I don't know. I don't know how it all works out. Biblical record says there was no communication between God until, from, from Noah until Abram. I think that when God spoke to Abram, a pagan, a businessman, an entrepreneur of sorts, when God spoke to this man, he realized, oh my gosh, he chose me. Before Abram believed in God, God believed in Abram. Before I had faith in God, God had faith in me. Does that, does that help? What do you believe about yourself? Most of us spend a lot of time beating ourselves up in our heads. We tear ourselves down. We say negative things about ourselves. Oh, I'm fat. I'm old. I'm ugly. I'm dumb. And, you know, whenever we mess up, we just we verbally abuse ourselves in our minds. But God doesn't. God believes better things about you than you believe about yourself. God's faith for you outweighs your faith for him. Does that make sense? God's faith for you is greater than, your, than the whole planet's faith for God. This is, this is a deep secret. God's on our side. He's rooting for us. He believes in us. And that is what we need to tap into. We need to begin to believe what God believes about us. Isn't that cool? Doesn't that make you feel better? 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's cool. Because how many people have floundered in their faith? You walked away from God. You were frustrated because you didn't answer your prayers. You're frustrated because your finances are falling apart. You're frustrated because there was a flood. You're frustrated because there was a 
fire. You're frustrated because you got called into a land of famine and you lose a bit of your faith, but God remains faithful. He hasn't given up. He can't. It's not in his nature. It says, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Romans 3, 3 says, what if, what if some did not have faith? Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe that's somebody you love. They don't have faith. Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So here's the message. Don't give up on God today. He hasn't given up on you. What is more important? What's more important? Is what, is, is what you believe about God more important than what he believes about you? I want to encourage you to change the way that you think. What's more important? Your perception of God, you trying to understand God, or you understanding what he believes and how he feels and how he cares and how he loves for you. It changes everything. 1 John 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because it involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. That's, that's the motivation of our heart. If I can get the band to come up to the front. We love, we move in this grace because he first loved us. If you have the ability to love, that's only because God first loved you. And then Jesus says again. Uh, Jesus says, chapter, John chapter 15, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Uh, this is crazy. I didn't get, again, this really rubs me the wrong way. I didn't choose God, he chose me. You didn't choose God, he chose you. And furthermore, he's ordained you into a priesthood of all believers. The, this ancient truth that Abraham tapped into was actually a new covenant revelation. Um, what he's saying is, you are Abram. You have been, you've been called out. You have been called. You have been summoned by God. He's reaching out. He is calling you. And he just wants us to respond. He wants us to take a first step. He wants us to walk towards him. He wants us to even walk into danger. He wants us to walk into uh, uncertainty. He wants to stretch our faith. He wants us to rest in his faith. He wants us to receive this gift of faith. So this is the fresh, hopefully the fresh revelation. You did not, you're not here today because you chose to be. You're here today because, because God's called you today. God has called you today. And how do you respond? What does your faith look like? Um, when we were doing the intercessory prayer time this morning, one of our ladies who's gifted, she's, 
Have you ever heard this term? Are you on fire for the Lord? You ever heard that? I used to say that to the youth group all the time when they were apathetic and lazy. You need to be on fire for the Lord. Here's, the, here's what we got today from the Lord. God is on fire for you. He is burning for you. He is so excited about you. He is calling you. Don't worry about how on fire you are from him. Don't focus on that. Focus on him and his excitement for you. Game changer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. I pray that you move us into further up, higher in, new expressions of faith. God, I pray that we will just shed this thing where, okay, God, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to give you a shot. No. God doesn't, God never gave us a shot. God was all in from the very beginning. Full-blown covenant. No matter what we do, no matter how faithless we are, no matter what sin we committed, God is still all in. He's all in for you. So God, right now, I pray that we would just understand these truths, that we would get them deep down inside of us. I pray that we will step out and begin to walk in your success and your victory that you've called us to. We pray this in your name. Amen.